KMTT Kimitzion Tetzei Torah And this is KMTT, the Torah podcast. And this is Ezra Beck. And today is Friday, Erev Shabbat, Yom Vav, Chaf Bet Adar. And we're coming to the end of our 12th week since we started KMTT. For those of you, I'm sure there are a lot of you who have been here from the beginning. Don't know if when we started you thought it would last this long. We've all this gotten our own uh, the mechanism, the procedures, we've more or less gotten them down so they work fairly consistently. Every now and then we still have a little bit of a problem. But the way it's working now, I think came to tea will be here for many, many years. We've gotten some very gratifying uh, responses from people commuters, a couple of exercises, one person who walks his dog with KMTT. First I was, I thought maybe I should be insulted, but then I realized on the contrary. He used to just walk his dog. Now he's learning Torah, and Baruch Hashem, the dog is having a good time too. And so, we plan to keep this program going. After Pesach, after Pesach, we'll be starting another channel in KMTT, which will be in Hebrew. I assume that most people who are commuting commute twice, once going, once coming back. We're not going to be producing two separate English programs, at least not in the near future. Right? That's beyond our capabilities. But if you can also enjoy a shir in Hebrew, then we'll offer the on the technical details somewhat later, in a few weeks when we get ready to set it up, but you'll have the possibility of getting two podcasts today, one in Hebrew, one in English. And if you have the time and you have the ability, then that will be a, an extra added benefit and bonus from, from KMTT. Today is Erev Shabbat, Parshat, Vayakel Pekudei, reading a double Pasha. Pashat Vayakel begins with, although most of the Pasha obviously is about is about the Mishkan, so the the actual application, the actual building of what was described as plans in the previous two or three Pashat actually. Truma and Kitisa, and a little uh, Truma and, and Tetzaveh, a little bit in Kitisa. And now in Be'akah Pekudei, the parasha describes how it was actually done. But in the beginning, there is a short parasha, a couple of psukim, which repeat the prohibition of doing melacha on Shabbat. In fact, it's exactly parallel to a very, very similar Pasha, which appeared just a few psukim earlier in the previous in the previous Pasha. In our Pasha, it says, Sheshet Yamim Kodesh Kol Yumat. Six days you should do Malacha, six days you may do, or you should do. Six days you will do work, you will do Malacha. And the seventh day it will be holy for you? Anyone who does melacha will be put to death. The, the punishment for Chilol Shabbat is death. 
Almost the exact same pasuk appears in the previous pasha. In Perek Lamed Aleph, you have a, a pasuk, pasuk Tedvav, Sheshet Yamim Ye Asim Melacha, Uvayom Ashvi Shabbat Shabbaton Kodesh Lashem, Kola Asim Melacha Biyom Shabbat Mot Yumat. Six days you shall do work, Melacha, or work shall be done, and more accurate translation, not you shall do, but work shall be done. And the seventh day, it will be Shabbat Shabbaton Kodesh Lashem. Anyone who does Melacha, who does work on that day, shall be put to death. So the question is, why is it why is it repeated, especially in such close proximity? Now it's true to a certain extent, all of Pashat Vayakel is repetition of Pashat Tetzaveh and Pashat Chuma, but not really. Pashat Tetzaveh said this is what you should do, and Pashat Vayakel says this is what they did. So it's a good question as to why we needed to be told that in such detail, but it's not saying exactly the same thing. The fact that in both places, when God said make a Mishkan, but don't be Mechalel Shabbat. And then it says the Jews did the Mishkan, and Moshe said to them again, "Tobi Machalas Shabbat." That's totally unnecessary. This question was asked by it was asked by a lot of people. It was asked by Rabbi Eleven. Rabbi Eleven was known as the Tzaddik Yerushalmi, man who uh, lived in Yerushalayim, one of the Rabbanim of the Yishuv in Yerushalayim, and was famous for for his personality, his personality of Tzidkut, aside from being a Talmud Chacham. There's a book called Ista uh, Dikaya, which is simply consists of stories about Avayi Eleven. Avayi Eleven asked, "Why is this? Why is it? Why is it repeated?" To answer it, he asked he asked a different question. Why does it say Sheshet Yamim Te or Sheshet Yamim You don't have to be told to do work in the six days. It should say, "You know, I want to do work on Shabbat." Why does it say six days you can do work and Shabbat, and Shabbat you can't do work? So, Ravaya answered the first question by reference to the second question. We're getting close to Pesach and uh, within the KMTT as well we're going to start switching some of the Shiurim over to getting ready for Pesach in the next two weeks that we have until Pesach. There's a Tosfot and Pesachim Dachbet. The beginning of Pesachim, Tosfot asks, why is Chametz treated with more severity than any other prohibition in the Torah. He's referring to the fact that in Chametz you have not really a, is it prohibited to eat it, but also you have the Isur of Bar Yira'e and Bar Yimatzei. You're not allowed to have any Chametz in your house. Now other things which are Isur, you're allowed to have them in your house. You have to be careful not to eat them. Only Chametz does the Torah not only say, can't you eat it, but you have to like get it out of your sight. So Tosos gives a psychological answer. He says Chametz is an Isur which the whole year is mutar. You'll not eat chametz the whole year. And therefore, he has an expression, lo badil minei. A person is not separated. He's not, he hasn't, he hasn't put himself away. He hasn't put the chametz away in his mind. And when it comes to Pesach, you're habituated to eat it. And therefore, it will be very difficult to, to have it in the house and not forget for a second and eat it. Lo badil minei. You're not, you don't, you don't separate yourself from the chametz. And therefore the Torah, as so to speak, an extra precaution said, get it out of the house. But other Yisurim, if you see Chazer, if, uh, if you see something that you know you're not allowed to eat the whole year, you never eat it, so you don't have, you don't have this problem. That's what Tosa says. Based on that, Vayi 11 says, this is what the Torah is saying about Shabbat as well. Sheshet yamim te'asem alacha. It's not that alacha is bad. 
Doing work is bad. Jews are against doing work. You're allowed to do work. You're supposed to do work. In fact, he doesn't mention this. In fact, there's a there's a mechilta which says just like there's a prohibition to do melacha on Shabbat, there's a mitzvah to do melacha the whole week. In any event, you're allowed to do melacha the whole week. Come Shabbat, all of a sudden the melacha work becomes asur. So that is what Tosfut calls lo badil mine. It requires extra precaution to prevent yourself from 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 forgetting. And that's why the Torah repeats the Esau a second time. Because here it, it's not like in Chametz where there are extra Isurim of But there's another precaution. The Torah simply warns you once and then again. Why does the Torah warn you twice? So the Torah itself explains why it warns you twice. Since Sheshet Yemim and therefore I'm telling you again, Based on this vote of Ravai 11, I think we can have a, a somewhat deep understanding. What does it mean, lo badil minei? Some things are bad. The Torah is opposed to them. And things which are, which are opposed, so a halachic person, a Jew who, 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 who has a halachic personality, he develops a natural aversion to them. When you see something which is, which is also, you see, you see pork, so it's not just in your head that you're against it. You, you have developed an instinctual repulsion or aversion to it, and, and it's simply not in your head anymore. It's not in your mind. It's not definitely not in your heart. But other things are not bad. Chavitz, for instance, is not bad. It's a good thing. I mean, bread is a major, a major uh, halachic uh, object for many, many things. On Shabbat, you have to have bread. We, we eat bread all the time. There, 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 there was chametz in the Beit HaMikdash that was brought to God as a korban. Chametz is not a bad thing. And therefore, one does not have a halachic aversion or repulsion to the existence of bread. Nonetheless, on Pesach, it's asur. Not only, I think, is it psychologically unlikely that a person could develop on Pesach an aversion for seven days, it's not even, it's not, there's no reason why you should. Even on Pesach, when you see chametz, you're not supposed to be disgusted. Because chametz is still a good thing. It just, it's asur today. That's a situation that's called lo badumine. I think that's what Rav Ayi is explaining, or Rav Ayi's vote explains to us about doing work as well. Work is a surah on Shabbat, but work is not a bad thing. We're not opposed to work. We don't think that leisure is itself a value. There's a Gemara in Sanhedrin that says, Adam la'amal yulad. Man is born to labor. A person who's just resting all the time is missing out on the point of what Olam Hazeh is all about. And I think that in the context of the Pasuk, that might even be what the Pasuk is saying. Sheshet yamim kodesh. In order that Shabbat should be kodesh lachem, it should be sanctified, it should be holy, then you have to have sheshet yamim tasemalacha. The Ktusha of Shabbat is created by our removing ourselves from something which is part of our lives, from work. You don't achieve Ktusha by not eating or partaking of something to which you have a moral or intellectual aversion. But because Melacha is what the world is all about, if Sheshet Yamim Te'ase Melacha, if work is done for you for, for the six days, then on the seventh day when you stop, Yelachem Kodesh, it will be 
it will be Shabbat Shabbaton, Kodesh Lashem. It will be holy. And precisely because you have a positive attitude towards the need to work, to create, to do things, to build things, to contribute to the world, not to be, not to be uh, your Shev Batel, not to sit and do nothing. So then you take that personality and you apply it on Shabbat by, by stopping. You're stopping something which, which is important. But you stop in order to create a, 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 a island of sanctity which is nourished from the work you did during the six days. Because I've created things in the six days, therefore I can enjoy what I've created on this day. Just like God only made Shabbat because He worked for six days. So too, you work, you make Shabbat because you've worked for six days. Someone who has a low badumine attitude, a positive attitude towards the work he's done. So on Shabbat, it indeed it's Kodesh. It has, it has Kedusha. We have a guest, our guest today for the Arab Shabbat program. Give us a, a Sicha. Is Harav Moshe Taragin, one of the Ramim in Yeshivat HaRatzion. And Rav Taragin will give us now a talk, a Sicha, for Shabbat. Parshas Vayakel, as well as Parshas Pekudeh, details the various fabrics, materials, as well as the kalim, the vessels, the various ritual elements which both adorned the Mishkan, the house of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, as well as enabled various forms of ceremony and sacrifice. Very, very colorful, array of different shapes and contours, of different utensils. But one of the most fascinating utensils, one of the most fascinating vessels described in Parshas Vayakel towards the end is the kior. The kior is a wash basin which is situated the boundary between the world of the mundane and the world of the sacred. Right at the boundary as the Kohen enters the Mishkan on a daily basis, he purifies himself from the affairs of the world and attempts both in a physical sense as well as in a figurative sense to reach an expanded level of religious consciousness mirrored by physical purity. The Kiar was fashioned from Nehoshes, from copper, and the Pasuk describes the source of this copper. Evidently, copper was not as available, was not as ubiquitous in the desert as perhaps the gold and the silver were. And therefore the Torah is compelled to describe the source of the copper which was donated to fashion not only the kiar, the wash basin, but also the kano, the pedestal, the foundation upon which the basin was situated. Vayas kiar nechoshes, veyas kano nechoshes, bimaros Asher Tzav'u Pesach Ohel Moed. The Kiar was constructed from copper. Copper, which was delivered from the Mar'ot HaTzavot, the Mar'ot HaTzavot, which attended the Ohel Moed. Very, very intriguing source for the copper of the Kiar. The word Mar'eh, which is taken from the root of ra'ah to see, is assumed by many commentators to refer to 
ancient forms of mirrors, before glass was actually glazed or mirrored, highly buffed or highly polished copper would serve functionally as a mirror. So ultimately, the kiar was fashioned from copper which had previously served as mirrors. Maros. Where did these mirrors come from? Who donated the mirrors? So the Ibn Ezra describes a group of very, very pious, very, very motivated women who forswore any future need for mirrors. They decided upon the occasion of the construction of the Mishkan that mirrors were no longer necessary. Personal beauty, personal adornment, vanity, attempts to attract the other sex are no longer necessary in an age and an era of higher religious consciousness of serving HaKadosh Baruch Hu in the Mishkan. So this sect or this group of women as the Ebenezer Ezra refers to Nashim of Dos Hashem Shasaru Mitava Zehaolam deprive themselves of the artificial attractions of this world. They dedicated their copper, which had previously served them as mirrors. They no longer saw any need to adorn themselves, to apply makeup. However, every day, instead of applying makeup, and perhaps during the time it would have taken them to prepare themselves, the whole yom, Bo el Pesach Ohel Moed, they attended the Ohel Moed, to spend their time praying, to study Torah and mitzvot. And this is the meaning, Asher Tzavu Pesach Ohel Moed, literally an army of what one could call, quote-unquote, nuns, women who, had, who, who sought a higher level of religious experience, depriving themselves willingly of their mirrors, utilizing the time instead for greater and deeper spiritual experience. And certainly the, Rabbi, the Eben Ezra's read on this copper and these women is a very, very understandable and logical read. The thought that a mirror which was previously used in order to apply makeup, to artificially create greater beauty, to attract men, such mirrors should be employed for the kiar, for the very utensil, for the very vessel which was meant to purify, which was meant to cleanse a human being from the flaws, from the blemishes of the mundane world in order to allow entry into a higher realm. Evidently, the only copper, the only mirrors which were appropriate were the copper of women who, in, who willingly, willingly disengaged from the vanity of this world. Ironically, Rashi cites a medrash which provides a diametrically opposite view of the source of these of this copper. Rashi writes that the mirrors were not donated by women who forswore makeup, physical beauty, aesthetics, but specifically by women who celebrated and who had in the past had heroically performed and heroically committed themselves to the future of Amisol under duress specifically through their mirrors. Rashi writes, Benos Yisrael, women, Hayubiyodan Maros, mirrors, Sheros Bohen, which were used, Kishahen Miskashtos, when they would apply their makeup each morning. Af Osan Lo Ikvu Milahavi Lenidvas Hamishkon. And even those mirrors were donated 
to the construction of the Mishkan. And initially, Moshe Rabbeinu was a guest. Moshe Bohen. Moshe was repulsed by the notion of utilizing these mirrors, the tools of the Yetzir Hara, to utilize those mirrors in the Mishkan, to utilize that copper, and specifically to employ that copper as a vessel to purify men. Moshe was disgusted by the prospect. Mirrors, the tools of the Yitzhahara, of evil inclination, the vessels, or the, the material of vanity, of pride, of aesthetics, of sexual attraction, of artificiality, to incorporate them in the Mishkan, to utilize them as tools and vessels to purify men. Moshe initially refused to accept this donation. Amrullah HaKadosh Baruch Hu, HaKadosh Baruch responded, Kabel, accept those mirrors, not the mirrors of women who are no longer interested in personal beauty, but the mirrors of these women. Ki Eilu HaKadosh Baruch Hu told Moshe, Chavivan Alay Min HaKol. These mirrors are more precious to me than any other materials that have been donated to the Mishkan. Sha'al Yedeim Hamidu Hanashim Tzavos Rabos B'Mitzrayim. For these mirrors were crucial, crucial elements in sustaining Jewish family life, maintaining Jewish vision under the duress of slavery, under the horror of bondage. The Maros Hatzavos, the mirrors were not of women who would congregate each morning outside of the Mishkan for swearing their interest in personal beauty and personal hygiene, but they were the mirrors of women when employed personal beauty in Mitzrayim in order to produce an army of Jews who left Mitzrayim, Maros Hatzovos. Kishahayu Balem Yegeim Bavodos Parach, as the men were throttled, as the men were stymied with the back-breaking labor in Mitzrayim, losing their interest in life and losing their vision for future, for redemption. Hayu Halchos Amolichos Lehem their wives would offer temporary soccer, temporary reprieve, would bring them food. Before they would visit their husbands in the work field, they would use the mirrors to improve their appearance. And through this, they would attract their husbands sexually. And they would become impregnated. And this entire saga, this heroic scenario is described in the Pasuk or is encoded in the Pasuk in Shir Hashir and Paraches. Tachas hatapuach aratichat. Under the apple tree I have awakened you. And women awakened and resuscitated the lost redemptive vision of their suffering husbands. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu targeted these mirrors and informed Moshe these mirrors, with all their connotations, with the manner in which they facilitate personal beauty, in which they facilitate the attraction between sexes, in which they facilitate sexual arousal, because they produce, these maros produce, the tzvos, rabos, the multitudes of Jews in Mitzrayim, even under the conditions which the Jews were facing. Two diametrically opposed opinions as to the source of these this copper kiar. Two diametrically opposed opinions as to how we view our world 
and how we view the traits which HaKadosh Baruch Hu endowed us with. The greatest, greatest success of the Sahara is in convincing us that we possess certain traits which are evil and other traits which are productive and positive. For every trait which HaKadosh Baruch Hu endows man possesses unlimited potential. And every trait can be employed productively, heroically, religiously. And every trait in excess, in distortion, can be abused, can be exploited to serve the interests of chayt and of sin. And the question is how we utilize and how we employ. And Moshe Rabbeinu, perhaps, for a fleeting moment, viewed mirrors and the aesthetic connotations, the function of mirrors in that negative light. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu reminded him that none of these traits should be seen as positive or negative, as holy and as impious, but each trait should be seen as a kernel which HaKadosh Baruch Hu plants within the human heart to be employed constructively or chas v'shalom with the ability to be abused or perverted. The Mishnah in Avos reminds us that this world is a prosdor, is an entranceway. Haskein beprosdor, prepare yourself in the entranceway, in order that you should achieve passage into the palace, the real, ultimate realm of human experience, the eternal realm, the afterlife, the next world. And it reminds us in a very caustic and strident manner not to invest too deeply, not to embrace too willingly the fleeting experiences of our world, the momentary pleasures, the human traits with which we negotiate our own experience in this transient realm. But, too harsh an application of Hazal's adage can lead to a complete renunciation, a complete repudiation of any value within the human realm around us, of any value within the human heart within us. The Yushalmi in the end of Masechus Kiddushin demands that when a person ascends to heaven for his ultimate reckoning, for his ultimate judgment, Asid Adam Litain Din Vacheshbon, a person will have to apply or provide an accounting. What will the questions be? What will we'll be judged upon? So the Gemara in Shabbos offers us several options, not options, but several several questions which we will face, challenges which we will have to answer. Did we study Torah sufficiently? Did we act ethically? Did we invest sufficiently in raising and rearing a family? Were we anticipating redemption and participating in redemption? What level of Yerashamayim did we achieve? The normal, usual suspects, the expected questions. But the Yishalmi in the end of Masechus Kedushin asserts that we'll have to answer an additional question. Asid Adam Litein Din Vacheshbon Al Kolma Shara'ina Velo Achal Mimenu For everything which our eyes beheld and we did not eat from or consume. Not, of course, in a literal sense, but every opportunity in this world which we did not take full advantage of, which we did not explore fully for its religious potential, for its religious meaning. Did we study the world sufficiently? Were we sufficiently sensitive to the religious horizons which serve as a gloss to the world around us? If we hold up this Yushalmi and Mesechus Kedushin to the aforementioned Mishnah and Avos, they seem to be contradictory. They seem to be completely incongruous, completely irreconcilable. On the one hand, we should view our world with suspicion in a dismissive manner as a fleeting, false reality. 
which should in no way benefit from our investment or our interest. Yet the Shalmi and Kiddushin echoes a completely different attitude, that our world is lightened with religious opportunity, with the opportunity to, to see, to grasp, to gaze at HaKadosh Baruch Hu, not just through the world around us, but through the emotions which serve as the fabric of our reality, allowing us to understand ourselves and ultimately HaKadosh Baruch Hu in a deeper and more profound fashion. How are we to reconcile the Shalmi and Kiddushin with the Mishnah and Avos? How are we to reconcile the opinion of Rashi, Rashi's opinion towards sexual attraction, with the Ibn Ezra's opinion? Obviously, the key is the elusive balance. To balance, to remind ourselves as often as we can not to indulge excessively in the world around us, in the world within us, but to commit ourselves to the vision of our world as merely an entranceway which we prepare for the ultimate experience in the palace. But not to deny, not to stifle, not to expunge the basic traits, or certainly not to villainize or demonize traits which HaKadosh Baruch Hu empowered us with, emotions which the Rabbana Shalom endowed us with, not just to negotiate our way through this world, but to deepen our experience, to attain a deeper sense of um, self-awareness and of emotional experience and thereby serve him more profoundly and more resonantly. A similar pattern emerges earlier in Parshish Vayati. Undoubtedly, the Mishkan could not have been constructed without creativity, personal expression, implementation of personal talent. For all of the Ruach HaKadosh, for all of the divine assistance, it is undeniable that Bitzalel, Haliyav, and their team were highly skilled craftsmen, highly skilled artisans, architects, who were able to capture HaKadosh Baruch Hu's blueprints and implement it in a house, in a shelter, crafted by human hands. Parshas Vayakel and Pekude displays the greatest expression of personal talent, of artistic expression, in the history of mankind, or certainly the greatest channeling of that artistic expression for religious purpose. Hazal tell us, in Shabbos, as well as the Medrash and Parshas Vayakel, that even though HaKadosh Baruch Hu filled these artisans with divine inspiration, Mileo Sam Chachmaslev, HaKadosh Baruch Hu delivered unique intuition and capability. Vayimaleo so Ruach Elohim, HaKadosh Baruch Hu delivered special talent to these artisans. Ein memalem el lechachem. HaKadosh Baruch Hu will only deliver these talents and these traits to an individual who has first conditioned his heart and conditioned his mind to not only accept HaKadosh Baruch Hu's delivery, but to exploit it productively, to implement it, and to express it. So the Tzalel and the Haliyah were individuals prior to their expression, prior to their work, prior to their masterpiece, prior to their being inspired by HaKadosh Baruch Hu's vision, had studied, had worked, had trained, had prepared for this great moment. And great it is to build a house for HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to build a majestic house, a majestic temple of splendor and beauty, of regality, ornate vessels and utensils. HaKadosh Baruch Hu 
desires, the expression of personal creativity, of personal intuition, of flair, of artistic expression. And he desires it from B'Tzalel and Aliyah in their work. And in a different sense, he desires it of us. He desires us to build our own Beis HaMikdash, our own Mishkan, our own religious temple to serve him and to improve our world and to improve the religious state of our world by locating our unique talent, our innate opportunities and, and capabilities, developing them and expressing them. But of course, at some point, if unchecked, if unfettered, creativity lapses into narcissism. Narcissism becomes a fulfillment of self rather than a mission toward the divine, towards the religious call. What is to protect us? What is to prevent our creativity, our spontaneous expression from lapsing or deviating into self-deification, narcissistic self-aggrandizement? Well, part of the way in which our Baruch checks the expression of our creativity and the perversion of our creativity is by reminding us before the Mishkan is constructed, before our creativity is expressed, reminding us of the great mitzvah of Shabbos. Vayakel Moshe's kaladatz b'nei Yisrael vayomer alehim Eila dvarim asher tiva Hashem la'asel sosam Sheishes yamim te'asem alacha vayom hashri yelechem kodesh Shabbos Shabbaton Hashem kolose lo melacha Yumas, lotzivaru eish bechol moshvosechem biyom ha-Shabbos. The notion of Shabbos has already been iterated at least four times in Sefer Shemot. Chazal inform us that in Mara, a few weeks before Harsinai, one of the mitzvot which we were challenged toward as a sort of preparation toward the great moment in Harsinai, one of the mitzvot was Shabbos. Subsequently, as the month was delivered, we were tried and tested. Would we collect on Shabbos? And to a degree, we failed that trial. Of course, Shabbos is incorporated within Aseris Adibros. Zachar is Yom HaShabbos Lekadcho. Sheshis Yamim Tavod. And then finally, in Parshas Kitisa, the laws of Shabbos were stated. Four times the laws of Shabbos have been delivered. In that light, this iteration of Hilcha Shabbos in the beginning of Parshas Vayakil seems absolutely redundant. seems absolutely superfluous. Rashi, citing Chazal, already notes the queer, the seemingly inexplicable mention of Shabbos yet a fifth time. Rashi mentions the statement of Chazal on a technical term. That though we generate enthusiasm towards constructing the Mishkan, we must take care and take caution not to construct, not to erect the Mishkan on Shabbos. I believe that beyond this literal interpretation of the iteration of Shabbos before the Malachah Samishkan, there is perhaps a more symbolic reason for including the laws of Shabbos before the Mishkan and before its construction is about to be launched. HaKadosh Baruch Hu created the world in six days. As the Menach Malachim is infinite, naturally, his creation should have spiraled infinitely. Naturally, his creation should not have been limited to six days. But the creation of HaKadosh Baruch Hu should still be unfurling, should still be emerging. If HaKadosh Baruch Hu's creative experience would be unlimited, 
as is his nature, then there'd be no room, no opportunity for human creation, for human creativity, let alone human existence. If the floor that I sit on, the chair that I'm currently sitting on, would still be unfolding and emerging, then perhaps in a minute it would no longer be a chair, but it would be a liquid. The oxygen I breathe would constantly be morphing, would constantly be transitioning into some other substance. The laws of gravity and of physics, of biology and of chemistry would be in a constant state of flux. The world would possess no predictability. Man would have absolutely no capacity to organize his world, to study his world, to improve it, to discover, to invent. In short, man would have no place and certainly human creativity and industry with absolutely no meaning in a constantly dynamically changing world. After six days of creation, HaKadosh Baruch Hu unnaturally withdrew himself, known in Kabbalah as the Saur HaTzimtzum, the secret of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's withdrawal. He unnaturally ceased his creation. He unnaturally rested. It was not expected. It was not typical of HaKadosh Baruch Hu to cease creation. But he ceased his creation in order to allow man to live to create and to perfect his world. In many cultures, fire, the symbol of human creativity, of industry, of cognition, fire delivers heat, heat is used to manufacture, fire delivers light to irradiate, to illuminate our world, fire in a symbolic sense, a light or a light bulb, the spirit of discovery, of ideas, in many cultures, man steals fire from the gods. Prometheus strips the gods of fire and is, of course, eternally bound to a rock, bound to a boulder as his punishment. The Yushalmi in the Sechot Sachim reminds us that after HaKadosh Baruch Hu ceased his own creation and rested on Shabbos, thereby culminating his process, he delivers fire to man on Matzei Shabbos. And in the delivery of fire lies the symbolic passing of the baton, I have completed my creative process. I now desire that you create in my wake, that you create within my world, perfecting, refining, and redeeming my intentionally imperfect creation. HaKadosh Baruch Hu delivers fire to man on Matzei Shabbos in order to launch the era of human creativity. Shabbos is a constant reminder of the boundaries and the terms of human creativity. Each Shabbos, as we resist from work, we remind ourselves that our work and our industry, our accomplishments and our achievements are only possible because of a Kodesh Baruch Hu's unnatural withdrawal at the dawn of creation. Sheshes Yamim Te'asem Alecha, Parshas Vayakel writes. Parshas Vayakel does not merely describe the commandment to desist from work on Shabbos, but first, it encourages us to be creative, to produce, to employ our talent. Sheishis yamim te'asem Kodesh Baruch Hu desires our work, our contribution, our toil. Uvayom ha-shvi kodesh, Shabbat Shabbat Hashem. From the seventh day, resist from work, imitate HaKadosh Baruch Hu, walk in the model of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's six days of creation and subsequent withdrawal. Kala yumas. It is for this reason that the laws of Shabbos serve as a preface 
before the launch of the construction of the Mishkan. It is for this reason that the only milacha which is forbidden on Shabbos, which is specifically mentioned in the Torah, of all the 39 milachas, 38 of them are inferred. 38 of them are implicit rather than stated. The only milacha which is stated explicitly, the only forbidden form of industry which is stated explicitly is the milacha of Eish, Lasivaru Eish, Bechomosh, Vasechem. Because Eish represents, connotes the epitome of human creation and human creativity and human industry. And the only place in the Torah where the Malacha of Eish is explicitly mentioned is in Parshas Vayakel, right before human creativity is unleashed, right before the construction of the Mishkan commences, right before B'Tzalel and the Haliyah begin their great work expressing personal flair, personal style. The laws of Shabbos are restated. The terms and the conditions, the historic framework of human creativity is outlined and the iconic experience of fire serves as the fulcrum for this message. Lo sivaru eish b'chol moshvosechem b'yom ha-shabbat. On Shabbos, withdraw from industry. Withdraw from fire. Withdraw from human creativity. Remember HaKadosh Baruch Hu's unnatural withdrawal, his own symptom, and employ that historic moment as a corrective and a potential check upon the abuses of unbridled human creativity. Do not kindle a fire on Shabbos. Do not flame the forges of the factory of the blacksmith. But after Shabbos has completed, after the message has been internalized, after the checks and balances have been established, by Yomer Moshe called Das Yisrael, Begin the Mishkan. Begin the process of personal expression. Begin to change your world. Build a religious temple, a religious fortress, a religious palace. In the literal sense, build a Mishkan. In the figurative sense, build a life, a religious tower with depth, personality, individual expression, Profound Avodas Hashem, as long as all that creativity occurs in the shadow of Shabbos. As long as all of B'tzalel's art and expression, talent and imagination occurs within the shadow of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's presence, as his name itself indicates, B'tzalel, B'tzel El, in the shadow of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, as long as it occurs within that framework, then it is desirable, constructive, and deepens and enriches Avodah Hashem rather than threatens it. Parshas Vayakel provides two studies in the expression of very powerful human traits, traits which can be perverted, traits which in excess can be addicting or addictive, the traits which are Kodesh Baruch Hu intentionally endowed within our heart, within our consciousness, within our psyche, in order to deepen our own lives and ultimately serve as the engine for greater and deeper, more intense levels of Avodah Hashem. Moshe Rabbeinu was horrified initially by the prospect of including icons of human vanity and human sexuality in the Mishkan, let alone the Kiyar. And ultimately Hashem reminded him, Elu Chavivin, because the mirrors, 
because physical attraction, spousal relationship, attraction between sexes has its place, has its role, redeemed on Israel, produced armies of Jews under unimaginable conditions of horror and of suffering, Elu Chaviv in life. These mirrors, not the mirrors of the celibate women, of the so-called sect of nuns who forswore any future interest in their own personal appearance, but the mirrors of the women in Mitzrayim who utilized HaKadosh Baruch Hu's God-given beauty and attracted their husbands and rescued Am Yisrael from the pits of Egypt. Betzalo and his team were endowed with creativity, were inspired, the inspiration complemented their own interest, their own curiosity, their own development, their own years of experience. HaKadosh Baruch Hu desires the expression of their art, of their design, of their imagination. As long as it is recognized within the limits and boundaries of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's unnatural withdrawal of Shabbos, HaKadosh Baruch Hu's intentional, intentional creation of an incomplete world so that the talent he endowed us with can create and perfect it. As long as it does not digress or devolve into self-deification, into self-interest, as long as it serves to deepen the human spirit, to enhance the religious experience, as long as we have that constant reminder of Lo Sivaru Shabbos is a moment for reflection, of inflection, to remember the source of our creativity. As long as those values are in order, Bilvavi Mishkan Evna, person builds within his heart a deep, passionate, colorful, imaginative, spirited temple to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and utilizes the entire range and gamut of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's talent, the talent HaKadosh Baruch Hu endowed him with, to serve and to obey. And that's it for today's program. Wishing you a Shabbat Shalom Uvarach Vakata Torah Mitzion. We'll be back next week on Monday, the Shir of Rav Yayakan. The Shir has been in Lachot Brachot, and for the next two weeks it will be in Lachot Brachot, with Lachot Brachot of connected to the Seder of Pesach. We will, a little bit next week and more the week after, we'll be converting more and more of the Shi'urim to be part of our preparation for Pesach, according to the dictator of the Gemara, that 30 days, the two day of the Gemara, 14 days or 30 days, we pass in 30, so KMTT isn't doing 30, but 30 days before Pesach, one should begin to prepare oneself halachically for Pesach by reviewing the halachot and the, and the other laws and mental preparation, getting ready for Pesach, one doesn't simply fall onto a mitzvah, but one gets ready. So starting next week, on Monday already, Rav Khan Sheh will be about the Chod Brachot of Pesach, and in the rest of the week, and more the week after that, all the Shion will move over, or many of the Shion will move over, to be Vikrata Pesach. Until then, Shabbat Shalom, you've been listening to KMTT, and this has been Ezra Bik, wishing you Kol Tov, Ki mitzion teitzei Torah, udvar Hashem mi Yerushalayim.